Thank you so much for welcoming us home. Kristen and I are thrilled to be home. There is no place like home, and that's absolutely true when it comes to this church, our home church. Um, I don't know what you've been doing since I was last here at Father's Day, but we're in this season where you know, we're kind of doing things like you check off a bucket list, and there are some things that maybe we've put down that we're doing, but I'm also finding there are things that are happening for the first time ever that were not on my bucket list, but apparently they were on God's. For example, have you ever lost your wallet before? Let's see your hands. Put them up. Confession's good for the soul, but bad for the reputation, but put them up. All right, well, I had never done that before, but it was just a few weeks ago, we were watching our granddaughter, Everly, and uh, I just, we had a wedding coming up from Connection Point family here, and so I had to take my suit that I use for Marion and Berrien, and so I ran it to the dry cleaner, you know, and it was just one-stop shopping, so I went down the street, dropped off the suit, came right home, made a beeline for home, stopped by the mail, our mailbox to check on the mail, got back in the car, and I don't know why, but all of a sudden I went, where, where's my phone? Excuse me, phone, okay. Got my phone. Where's my wallet? Where's my wallet? I went into panic mode. I'm just here to tell you, the great man of God, you think I am. I went into panic. Big time. And so I quickly called. I, okay, I'm calling right away. I know I left. It had to be at the dry cleaner. So I called, and they didn't answer the phone. It kept ringing. Uh-huh. I knew they were hiding my wallet. <laughs> They're not answering the phone. I know what's going on. All right, I'm getting there right now. And I stop and they won't answer the phone, so I quickly thought, oh, I better call my wife and tell her, by the way, here's what I'm doing. She, hon, do you mind checking? I just go out to the mailbox real quick and make sure I didn't drop my wallet, but I'm going to head back to the dry cleaner, and I called them again. This time they answered right away. Aha, they finished what they need to finish, and so now they answer the phone. So I drive up there, and gal's real nice, and uh, where'd you park? Right here in front of you. We went out and looked around there. I noticed that I'm right here. It was on the the desk where we take care of our, our situation. She reached in the pile where the clothes were and couldn't find anything. And I said, do you have a security camera maybe that has what goes on here? And um, she said, well, the manager's on the way. I said, oh, okay. So the manager walked in, and he wouldn't make eye contact with me. Uh-huh. He goes over, and he hits something on a machine. I say, uh, sir, are you the manager? Yes. I said, you have, a, you have a security camera? He said, yes, but I don't have access to it. Oh, yeah, right, I bet you don't, yeah. So I said, well, I guess I better call the police officer who's supposed to report things like this. So I called Kristen about making calls in regard to things that might have been in the wallet to stop credit cards and things like that, you know. But then I called the police officer, and she came. She was wonderful, and I explained to her the situation, and um, she gave me her card, and I said, I'm going to go in and talk to them. I said, good. I said, I'm not accusing anybody of anything. I'm just saying, you might talk to him, okay, yeah, so. So I left, she said, well, if you find it, you can give, give me a call, here's my email, let me know. Well, in the meantime, I rush home, and Kristen and I are to, like, stop the world, you know, we're making phone calls, you know, it doesn't take long to make a few calls, and your calls mean so much to them while you wait for half an hour to talk to them. So it took about three, four hours to make those calls. And so we think we've kind of checked off everything we can check off, and finally, after four hours or so, now, of course, I'm throwing up SOS prayers like crazy. I mean, desperate, you know, crazy-type prayers. I know it surprises you that I don't walk with God so calmly, but I was in a panic. 
I'm saying calling out those SOS prayers, but at the same time, we're just, what, what can we do to fix this situation? So we're making all the calls, stopping everything. Oh, license, driver's license. We'll have to go apply for that tomorrow. How, what's that going to be like? All this stuff. Finally, Kristen starts to prepare supper. I'm not in the mood to eat, but she's preparing supper, really. And so I sat there finally, and I said, all right, babe, we, we thought of everything, right? Everything we think was in the, okay, yeah, I think we've made the calls. And then I, I had this dreaded thought. I think I've heard this before. I said, I have to start practicing like what I've preached for years, don't I? Like she always says, yes, you do. I said, like, in other words, it's not what happens to us. It's what we do after something happens to us, right? She says, that's right. Okay. So finally, I offer a reasonable prayer to God. It wasn't a big deal. It was just like a sentence. It was like, okay, God, I need to let this go. But can I just ask you, I know it's a long shot probably, but Lord, I pray somebody with a conscience finds it. I don't care if there's, they have the money. It's just dirty paper anyway. But you know, that's the cards and all the other stuff. I just pray, Lord, somebody with a conscience finds it. Thank you, Lord. Amen. That was it. Okay, within five minutes, our doorbell rings. <laughs> we look at each other. I go to the door, open the door. A guy's sitting back off the steps. He says, is your name Stephen T. Murphy? I went, no, it's Reeves, but that is my wallet in your hand. He said, oh, yeah, Reeves, I'm sorry. He said, I came through here, and this wallet was out in the street. I picked it up quickly. I knocked on the door, but nobody answered, so I just thought, well, I'm down the street. I'll come back later tonight. Uh, been three or four hours. Hope you didn't go to much trouble trying to find it. I said, no, no worries at all. <laughs> we were trusting God. I'm a you know, man of God. We were just waiting on the Lord. We knew it was going to show up. But I, I did say this to him. Can I just tell you, I just prayed a prayer five minutes ago. Like the first time, it was reasonable, and I just said, Lord, I pray somebody with a conscience finds it. So I don't know what your name is, but you're an angel, and we're glad you showed up. And he gave me this wallet with the money in it and the cards, and some of you are going, you're ticked off right now because you've lost yours, and yours was not returned. <laughs> that doesn't always happen. But my question became then a few minutes later, hey, God, wait a minute. Okay, now, here, like, I believe you work upstream, so you've been doing that, Lord, like, why did, you, why did you make me wait four hours? And I heard the Lord speak to me, because he does speak to me. Uh, Lord, why did you wait four hours? He said, because it took you four hours to really offer a prayer to me that made sense. Who asked you, Lord? Who asked you? <laughs> do you do that? I mean, do you respond when your world goes upside down? Do you respond like, in the way you want to with your right mind sitting right here. I'm going to trust in the Lord and take my time and offer a prayer of trust to him. Or do you go into panic mode and then finally begin to make some sense and God waits until we're teachable and can learn maybe what we need to learn. Well, John has asked me this weekend to talk to you about how do we pray when your world turns upside down in a small area or a huge area and to learn about this the master teacher, Jesus, wonderful storyteller. If you turn to Luke chapter 11, if you have your Bibles or in your Bible app, let's read a story in Luke chapter 11 that Jesus gave. Uh, it's, a, it's a story of this earth that really has a, some heavenly principles behind it, and we'll learn some things about prayer as a result of our study. So let's read it, then we'll unpack it together. Luke 11 verse 5 says, 
then teaching them more about prayer, Jesus used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit. I have nothing for him to eat. Suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. The door's already locked for the night and my family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. Remember, it's midnight. I tell you, I tell you this, though he will not do it for your friendship's sake, if you keep on knocking long enough, he will finally get up. If you just keep knocking the door, he'll get up and he'll give you what you need because of your shameless persistence. Those are the two words you ought to jot down. Your shameless persistence. And so I tell you, hey, you keep on asking and you'll receive what you've asked for. God's will and his time. You keep on seeking and you'll find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. When our hearts are breaking, whether it be for our nation, or as I've heard all week, all weekend from many of you, your hearts are breaking over something in your family or in your own life. When it's kind of turned upside down, how do we pray? Let me suggest, I like to keep things simple. Jesus gave simple stories for us, so let's learn Five principles of powerful prayer, regardless of the season of your life. Let's talk about it. First of all, we have to humbly admit our need before we begin to talk to God. This guy humbly comes and admits to his neighbor, I don't have anything to eat to feed the guy. It's embarrassing. My guest has come. I need some help and some food. Now, some of you have hearts that are breaking. And so as a result of that, maybe you're breaking over some things happening in our nation. I talked to many Christians who are broken about this. They've almost given up, given up praying about our nation. And it's good to remember our history as a nation and why we have the freedom to worship we have today. When the first Continental Congress took place in Philadelphia in 1789, they came to a stalemate. Can you imagine that happening in Washington, D.C.? But they did. There were harsh words that were spoken. Imagine that. One delegation just took off. They left. We're out of here. Others threatened to bolt. Benjamin Franklin, who was a deist, not a Christian, but a deist, he believed in God, he called for the Congress to stop for a three-day prayer meeting. I've waited for a breaking news story that says Washington is shutting down for three days for a national prayer meeting. Wouldn't that be breaking news? But that's what happened. They went to church, the pastors prayed, they came back, and you know within a matter of hours, Jefferson, Franklin, and the others forged out the Constitution of the United States, the most remarkable human document even ever written, even to this day today. They came together. Um, you remember what it felt like as a parent? Sometimes your kids take you for granted. I think sometimes in our nation, we kind of forget. We take for granted God has been favorable to us because early on, this was built on a nation of prayer, and it really was. And we're getting further and further away from that, and that's why we're playing a Russian relay game with God. So don't forget where the blessing has come from nationally. Don't forget where your blessings come personally. And if you need an illustration, look at your kids. Your kids ever take for granted your blessings to them? I remember many times when this kind of thing happened with my kids where I heard about this father who took his son. They went to McDonald's. The boy wanted a, a happy list, I mean a happy meal. With, he doesn't like the toy, but he gets it anyway, and so they, he has his fries, and the dad's eating his sandwich, and so sometime during the lunch, the boy reaches over, or I mean, the dad reaches over at the fries, and he says, 
He takes some fries. So he takes some of the boy's fries, and the kid goes, hey, Dad, easy on the fries. And Dad's thinking, who bought those fries? And he's thinking, I brought you into the world. I can take you out along with your fries. <laughs> Boy, they do forget quickly, don't they? And you know what that feels like when they forget how you blessed them? That's how God feels when we forget how he's blessed us as a nation, as a church, individually. And God is the giver of every perfect gift that we have. He's the one who's blessed us, and we need to begin to ask God not just to bless America. We pray that God again will begin to find in such a way that America will begin to bless God again. That's a real concern. Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goes before destruction, haughtiness before a fall. It's true for nations and churches and people. And we are stumbling badly as a nation. I love our country. I love our freedoms. But listen, we need now believers to pray like we've never prayed before in a humbleness before God, admitting that we are inadequate to solve the problems of our day. The problems in our country are much greater than any resources we could ever have. No education, no amount of education will ever solve the problems. Police officers cannot overpower our issues. Businesses cannot buy them. Politicians can't vote them away or enact them. The human sense of inadequacy is the first step to a powerful prayer. And you never must forget that when you come to God and you want answers and the power that can come through that connection with God. We must also <clears throat> have a healthy connection with the Lord to really experience the power of prayer. In the parable, this guy goes to a friend at midnight. You don't knock on the door of a stranger at midnight. You go to a guy who's already your friend, right? Prayer is a special privilege for friends of God. James 5.16 says, the current or the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power, produces a wonderful result, powerful results. The all-knowing God of the universe, he hears our prayers. He hears the prayers, by the way, of every human being who calls out to him, but answered prayers reserved for those specifically who are connected with him, who are friends, as Jesus said, of him, who are walking with him. But when we choose to live contrary to the will of God, personally, as a church or as a nation, when we do that, we forfeit the right, or it's like we're not guaranteed the Lord's going to listen or respond to our prayers. Psalm 66, verse 18 reads, if I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened to me. That's why prayer always must begin with praise and repentance before it begins with asking and seeking. Proverbs 15, 29 says, the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayers of the righteous. Jesus gave this wonderful description of our relationship with him to the apostles and us. In John chapter 15, verse 14, he said, you're my friends if you do what I command. Um, Norman Vincent Peale wrote a book in October of 1952, before I was even born. And he wrote this book called The Art of Positive Thinking. It was kind of new at that, that time. There continued to be branches off of that process. Just to only speak of the positive, never speak about the negative. That was what he did. I'm not espousing his philosophy, but a story he told I thought was pretty significant in his day he knew he wasn't supposed to be smoking his cigar as a kid, but he was smoking his cigar out behind the barn. And he heard his dad rustling with the horses inside the barn. He quickly snuffed out the cigar and put it in his back pocket. He walked in. He said, Dad, are you getting ready to go into town? He looked up, and Dad said, yep. He said, Dad, can I go with you? 
without even looking up. This time, the dad simply says, son, never make a specific request when you're harboring a smoldering disobedience. You know, sometimes we come to God and it's like we've got this back here, this part of our heart we're holding back from God and we're coming out to him, God, but God sees that last corner that you think you're hiding. He, he sees it. John 9, 31 says, we know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he's really ready to hear those who worship him and are trying to do his will. But third, we must boldly refuse to quit. That's certainly a strong theme in the story. The neighbor said, no, I'm not going to get up and help you. But the guy just kept knocking on the door. It was because of that the doors finally opened. You know, sometimes God says no to our prayers. Sometimes he's, often he says, wait. But sometimes he says no because it's the wrong time. Sometimes it's the wrong prayer. But we just need to keep asking until God has clearly said no. And then we, we accept that and we move forward. But don't quit. It's because of persistent prayer. That, that was the game changer in the story. And the, the phrase is shameless persistence. Do you have shameless persistence when you come to God? He wants us to have, have this. Um, I mean, this neighbor, he could have come to the next morning. Why does he keep knocking at midnight? He was so determined to get some help from his friend. And the Lord wants us to not be afraid to do the same thing with him. To be bold when we pray. Ephesians 3.20 says, all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we could ever ask or even think about. James 4.2 reads, you don't have what you want because you don't ask God. So instead of manipulating to get our way, we need to pray. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever prayed a prayer to God, but then you decide to help God out just a little bit? And you know what I'm saying? In other words, like me, you know, we were helping God for four hours before I finally said, oh, God, by the way, <laughs> right? It's like we manipulate to try to fix things, and then we kind of say, oh, thank you, Lord, but really we try to fix it and we usually mess it up ourselves first. I love the story of this couple who were in Phoenix, and they were retired there, and uh, the dad called his son in New York. He said, son, I hate to tell you this, your mom and I are getting a divorce. After 45 years of marriage, I'm tired of it. I'm worn out. I'm just done with it. The misery is over. I just want you to know that. He said, Dad, what are you talking about? He said, listen, uh, we just can't stand each other anymore. There's no more talking about the situation. I'm sick about it. Uh, it's, it's just going to get move on. Would you call your sister in Chicago, bottom line, and just tell her, Dad hangs up. Man. So he quickly calls his sister. She explodes on the phone. She said, you just hang on a minute. I'll take care of that. She calls her dad in Phoenix, and she screams at her dad. Dad, you are not getting divorced. You are not. Do, don't do a single thing. Listen, your son and I, my brother and I, we are coming tomorrow, and don't you do a single thing until we get there. Do you hear me? And she hangs up. So Pop hangs up the phone on the other end, turns to his wife with a grin, and he says, hey, honey, the kids are coming for Christmas. And they're paying their own way. <laughs> Thank you, God. <laughs> no, you manipulated, dude. Uh, don't fix it your way. Trust God for his timing and his way. This father comes to the situation, and so here he is. He's knocking on the door, and we tend to be deceitful instead of just really 
making bold requests, trusting in God. When your heart is breaking, sometimes it's hard to do that. Don't you ever hold back of bringing what you have to God. And number four, here becomes the real question. I wonder if you believe this. We have to believe that God really does, and he can. He changes circumstances. Do you really think prayers can make a difference? I mean, that, that's the question. This guy granted the necessary food. Uh, he did share what he had in there all as well. Now, sometimes, listen, God changes us when we pray. The situation doesn't change, but it's about us changing. So you need to kind of pray that when you're praying. But sometimes in time, he will change circumstances because historically he has changed circumstances. In the Old Testament, good King Hezekiah was told he was going to be dying. He pleaded with the Lord to extend his life. You know what? The Lord said, okay. He lived 15 more years. Elijah prayed that it might not rain. Oh, God, for three and a half years, no rain. Whew, that's a bold request so the people would depend on God. Guess what? God answered the prayer. It didn't rain for three and a half years. Nineveh was a city that was wicked, wickedly fading away from God. And uh, they were told in that city by God through the prophet they were going to be destroyed. Within 40 days, they were going to be destroyed. Broken, broken their heart. Of course it did. Amazingly, they did not believe the message. Uh, their king repented in dust and ashes. And finally, they prayed for forgiveness. Guess what God did? He spared the city. He said he was going to be destroying because of their prayers. So God can still do that. You trusted him. But here's where I want to camp. The most important thing of the story. It's kind of the big picture. We have to pray. I'm calling urgent prayers. Okay? When your heart is breaking, you know about urgent prayers because the secret to powerful prayers is the urgency. And we've all prayed what we call urgent prayers. It's things like I've been hearing about all weekend. It's when someone you love is hurting. Or you're hurting because of what they're doing in their own life. It's when your future is not certain. It's when our lives have been literally ripped apart. It's when our, our, our world is so full of anxiety and depression, they say that's doubled since the pandemic. There's more anxiety and depression and more fear than there ever has been before. I really believe the stuff you're doing Christmas really is going to matter more than ever before. There are more people who will be lonely inside this Christmas than ever before. Many have become agoraphobic because they are afraid of going anywhere where there are crowds. So this is our time. Oh, it's when you go to a doctor and you get bad results. You know how to pray earnestly, don't you? It's when you have a test for a physical and the doctor's not sure about it and it takes over a week to hear from the doctor. You pray urgently for that week, don't you? That's an urgent prayer. In my opinion, when life gets hard, we know how to pray urgent prayers. I want to make a case for something else. What about praying urgent prayers when you get the job? What about praying urgent prayers when life begins to settle down? The stress is not what it once was. Do we still pray as often when things calm down? Do we still pray with the same spirit of urgency? Honestly, for most of us, come on, the answer is no. We don't. That hot flame of concern has been turned way down, and the urgent prayer is no longer as urgent. Alistair Begg is a pastor I first heard at the Moody Pastors Conference in Chicago. He's a pastor at the Parkside Church in Chagrin Falls, Ohio. And he wrote this to the church in general, and I think it's so true. He wrote this, as our prayers are meager, we believe prayer to be supplemental and not fundamental. When I don't pray deep down inside, it's because I believe it really doesn't matter. 
When churches have everything in their church calendar and prayer is somehow kind of an addendum, then it says about the church that they regard praying as being supplemental and not fun, fundamental to what is going on in the life of the church. And we're honest. We know how to pray. We acknowledge sometimes we'll pray urgently, but yet at the same time, there are other times when life has calmed down and we've neglected to pray as urgently or regularly as we have. But whenever you just take the time to read scripture, you can't get through three pages without reading something about how to pray, the command to pray, the practical aspects of prayer, and commanding, being commanded to pray. Um, Peter quoted the Old Testament in 1 Peter 3, verse 12. The eyes of the Lord, I love this picture, watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to their prayers. God looks forward to hearing from us and our prayers. In other words, I would suggest this. We pray, God, would you break my heart, not just over the stuff in my life, would you break my heart over the things that are breaking your heart? That's a whole different deal. See, do you don't go, just go to God when you have a need because your heart is breaking? Or do you go to, your, go to God because his heart maybe is hurting and he's waiting to hear from you? We've all been motivated to pray when things aren't going right. But do we go regularly? Can you imagine for Thanksgiving or Christmas having your mom or dad inviting you to come home for Thanksgiving or Christmas? Great food, some warm hugs, some Christmas gifts. Can you imagine saying, well, I don't think I'll come I mean, a lot of people need that food more than me. Uh, other people have need gifts more than I do. For years, I've had people come to me with a prayer request, and they're very humble, and they say to me, you know what, I'm almost embarrassed to ask for prayer about this because God has given so much to me, and so many people have it so worse than I do. So I'm kind of afraid to bring this prayer to God. You don't, didn't get it. It's, if you're a parent, you know how you want to just hear from your kids. You're wired in the image of God. God just wants to hear from us. So can you imagine saying, God, well, other people need you more than me, so I just won't come to you. And God has everything ready for you. He wants to feed you and nurture you. He wants to hold you. He wants to love you. He wants to give gifts to you. He's waiting. He's waiting for you to come. And you imagine standing God up while he's waiting for you. Romans 12, 12 says, rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble. And so you keep on praying, not just when things are broken. Colossians 4, 2 says, so devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Dave Faust gave a wonderful message last week in here about praying with a thankful heart before you even have the blessing. You're thankful. Moses said to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 7, What great nation has a God as near to them as the Lord our God is near to us whenever we what? Pray to him. I like the way Mark describes Jesus' regular discipline. Here's what he did regularly. Mark 1, verse 35, before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went to this isolated place where he Matthew describes an event in Jesus' life in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus traveled through the, all the towns and the villages in the area, teaching in the synagogues, announcing the good news about the kingdom, and healed every kind of disease and illness. But when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. They were confused. They were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, here's the key now, watch this. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. You pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest and ask him 
to send more workers into his field. Uh, my wife and I are involved right now with a church. I'm an interim pastor for a church. I'm doing preaching for them for about a six-month period of time. Told you when we left here four years ago, we would do that as long as God called us to go to broken churches who were broken like this church was 30 years ago, and God has continued to call us to do this. So we've been with this church. We'll be with them through Christmas Eve, and they actually had their first baptism week. They'd never done this before. I said, you just would just teach right through Acts 2. We'd just have people come be baptized in their clothes. They looked like I was from outer space. They looked at me like, dude, what in the, are you kidding me? Everybody who already comes here, they already are baptized, I think. Well, let's just do it and let's see what happens and let's pray about it. And you know, one of their services, they had nobody planned ahead of time. Nine people came spontaneously and were baptized into Christ. It was like Acts 2 for them when that happened. It was unbelievable. The fact that we get to share with them what God did here in his family, the church, and now we're beginning to see what he's doing there is they have, are capturing a vision out of the pain and experience that they've had. It's a powerful thing to see that. What I love that this church is now doing, the whole church is praying and fasting every Friday and praying the Lord would send workers into his field. This wonderful passage. Ask him to send workers into his field. They're praying and fasting. God will send a new leader and others into his field. Field. And God will answer that prayer in his time. And if Jesus, God in the flesh, told his disciples to do that, to pray to God the Father to send more workers into the field, then surely we have to be urgent as well. Can I tell you my personal journey for the last 45 years in full-time ministry? There have been many specific people who've prayed for me every single day. And it made all the difference in my life. The number one person for years, of course, was my mom. I mean, I knew she prayed for me every day and really all of the family. And when we would go through particularly stressful times in ministry, I would call and say, Mom, uh, did you get me in this morning? Knowing she did, but just it was good to hear that one more time. When she went to heaven in 2013, I also knew there were a number of women who still were, you know, there's something when women pray. I can't explain it, but a number of women had come to me regularly. And then we knew my mom died, said, we'll continue to pray for you. And they still pray for me as if I'm their own son or younger brother. It's a powerful thing. Knowing that anything that happened in my ministry was a result of those prayers from the people of God. When I was the lead pastor of the Connection Point Church, we regularly had 24-hour prayer vigils. We were 15 years at the old site downtown, two-acre site. Now, I've been here since 2001. When we moved from that two-acre site to this 118-acre site, we had a prayer vigil. And many events in the life of the church when we knew we were attempting something that was so big, if God wasn't in it, we were going to fail. So we would pray, and people would sign up to pray at an hour block for a 24-hour period of time. People were praying. In fact, before we opened this building, we wrote scriptures all over the floor. So scriptures are written on the floor underneath you in this room. But there were also people who prayed for 24 hours around the clock, and they read from a microphone to this empty room the angels and the God of heaven, and they just read the word of God for 24 hours before we moved into here. You think, some of you go, I can't explain it. When I walk in there, the spirit of God has touched my heart. If it has, it's because of the faithful prayers of the word of God and the spirit of God fills this place. And that makes, has made all the difference and changed your life for eternity. But we need to focus on that way and it takes courage to do that. I just learned later in the week, I saw a piece to talk with the Frank Reich, coach 
head coach of the Annapolis Colts after the win last Sunday. He went to the press conference. He took off his football clothes and he put on his preacher clothes. He had on a suit. And, you know, he went to seminary uh, after his NFL career wanting to be a pastor. He had an internship with the church and he was with people like you and he said, forget that. <laughs> but God has still called him. I wonder if God can still use me to be a pastor around football. And that's really, he's, he is still called to be a pastor even though he's a coach. As you'll see, when you watch what he said last week to the NFL world, a minute and 44 seconds, watch this. I just wanted to offer a word of encouragement really to anyone out there who's in the midst of a struggle. In particular, I'm thinking of a few friends who I know are going through some stuff. And I want to give a personal account to where I found my strength for the journey. The reason I'm doing that here and now is because almost 30 years ago, in a really, after a really big game, right down the hall in a press conference, I shared the lyrics to a song that meant a lot to me, that really spoke to where, where I get my strength from. And uh, the song's In Christ Alone, and it's written by Sean Craig. I'm not gonna recite the whole song like I did in the locker room back in 1993 but I do want to just share a very small snippet of it that might encourage someone who's climbing their own mountain right now. It says this, the chorus says, in Christ alone I place my trust, and I find my glory in the power of the cross. In every victory, let it be said of me that my source of strength and my source of hope is Christ alone. And then there's one small snippet in the second verse, which is my favorite line, favorite lyric says, I seek no greater honor than just to know him more. So, even, even though it was almost 30 years ago when I read those words here in this stadium, this week I was reminded, Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's crazy, but we're here, but we're here some 30 years later, not living in the past, but rather attempting to press on to what is ahead. So my encouragement is to keep climbing and to find the strength and power that you need in Jesus Christ. Years ago, Ben Utech of our church, who was a cult, talked to me how difficult an environment it was in the NFL to be a Christian. Do you think it took some courage for him to do that? In fact, some of you came today only to be hearing from him the mountain you're climbing. You heard a message in a minute, 30 seconds, that maybe changed your life. He still considers himself to be a pastor, and I guarantee you he prayed long and hard before he made an intentional decision to write that little script and speak to the world in that environment of his strength and his hope. And by the way, if you're not rooting for the Colts today, you're fighting against the angels of heaven, man. I mean, come on. <laughs> Get with the program, okay? But man, it's, that is so, so powerful. And then it drives home a principle that I don't want us to miss, and here it is. Listen, we have to talk to God about people before we talk to people about God. Power came from that because he'd already talked to God before he did this. And I hope you invite people to be a part of your Yuletide Festival, but even more than that, you have that card to give to folks to come Christmas, Christmas Eve. Many of you started your journey with Christ. I see some of you who told me you have. You started it at a Christmas Eve service. 
Who is this on your heart this year? Give them an invitation, but before you do, before you talk to them about God, talk to God about them every day. God will honor that. The Apostle Paul should be devoted to prayer. Oh, I love this scripture, the description of the future in Revelation chapter 8. Oh, man, would you look at these verses? It says, when the Lamb Jesus broke the seventh seal on the scroll, there was, there was silence throughout heaven for about half an hour. And I saw seven angels who stand before God. They were given seven trumpets. And another angel with a gold incense burner came and stood at the altar. And a, a great amount of incense was given to to him to mix with the prayers of God's people as an offering on the gold altar before the throne and the smoke of the incense mixed with the prayers of God's holy people ascended up to God from the altar where the angel had poured them out. Do you know every prayer you've ever uttered? God puts it in a golden bowl. Not only do the angels rejoice now it happens, but when you get to heaven, there's going to be rejoicing. You know one thing I left when I left this place, I left in this building, I left a gold bowl in my office that was your, many, hundreds of your thousands of prayers, hundreds and thousands of your prayers. Remember you put them on paper and we had you, we were going through Revelation, we had you put those prayers in a golden bowl and that, that's in the office. It was in the office up there. Just a vision of what's going to happen one day in heaven. Every single prayer you utter before God is going to be lifted before God in heaven because prayers matter. And prayers make a difference now and apparently forever. Walter Wink is a New Testament theologian. I love his perspective on Revelation 8. He writes this, human history belongs to the intercessors, to those who believe and who pray that future into being. History does not belong to those whom we think it does. We think it belongs to the wealthy, the influencers, the powerful, those who command the armies, the large corporations, the global enterprises. Oh, no, no. History belongs to those who intercede before God, interceding. Hey, what's Jesus doing right now? That's what he's doing this second. Do you know right now Jesus is talking to God the Father about you by name right now and about what's happening in your heart right now as you hear his word? That's what's happening in heaven. Romans eight thirty four says, Christ Jesus died for us. He was raised to life for us. He's continuing to sit at the place of honor, God's right hand, pleading pleading for us. So listen, pray when your heart is breaking, but you also pray when God's heart is breaking. You'll find hope and strength from God. The Barner Research Group, they do real good research in regard to what's happening in our culture. Just this past week, I read that he suggests that now, post-COVID, 66% of self-professing Christians in our country call themselves casual Christians, two out of three. And what does that mean? That means they, they say, I'm a nice person, I'm religious, I'm a good citizen, I'm reliable at work, but I've never really had to publicly represent a, def, a definite, a difficult moral position, never had to do that, and I've never lost sleep over private choices. Uh, that should burden us about the day in which we live and how the challenges will continue to be there for us as we get near the return of Christ. So I was so grabbed by Max Licato's newest book, You Were Made for This Moment. My wife and I just got it this past week. Oh, I love what he writes. Don't ever measure the height of your mountain. Ponder the power of the one who made that mountain. 
don't you ever tell God how big your storm is. You tell God, you tell that storm how big God is. Your problem is not that your problem is so big, but it's that your view of God is too small. So the next time you feel the weight of the world, talk to the one who made the world and holds the world in the palm of his hands. You talk to him until one day you can speak to him face to face. Let's do that right now. Let's pray. Would God remind us these simple principles from this very simple story that a child can understand. May we never be afraid to admit our need. It's always there. And our connection with you is essential. And give us the courage to never quit praying about the difficult things in life, the impossible things we see in life. And we know it comes down to do we really believe that prayer does change things? And maybe God, most often in prayer, you want to change us. May we continually pray these urgent prayers. We pray these prayers together right now. Jesus, the cornerstone, we pray through and in Christ alone. We pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said.